Welcome to the Womb Happy Hour with Lorraine Giordano. It's time to connect with your feminine energy center, your own body, to achieve anything that your heart desires. It's a discussion about a place you may have not discussed so much, the place down there. Now, here is your host, Lorraine Giordano. Hello and welcome. I hope you're having a wonderful day. You're listening to the Womb Happy Hour. I'm your intuitive energy healer host, Lorraine Giordano. Feel free to connect and say hi. You can like me on Facebook at Inspired2Health. You can follow me on Twitter at Inspire2, the number two, health. And you can connect with me on LinkedIn at Lorraine Giordano, L-O-R-R-A-I-N-E-G-I-O-R-D-A-N-O. And if you'd like to check out my website, it's inspiredtohealth.net. All right, so today, totally excited. I am on the edge of my seat. So what are we talking about today on the Womb Happy Hour? Well, we're currently living in a time where there's a tremendous amount of messaging and pressure for young ladies and women and growing pressure for men too to look perfect and to appear to be living a perfect life. Um, on today's today's episode, we're going to talk about creativity and beauty from pain, illness, and disfigurement. And um, our special guest today is a nationally recognized artist. He is a patient advocate and TED Med speaker. The talented Ted Meyer joins the show to talk about his inspired and life affirming art. And he has. Um, many gifts, but I'd like to say that he adds color to scars or wounds that might typically be hidden. And so if you'd like to connect with Ted, you can follow him on Twitter and Instagram at Ted Meyer Art, and I'll spell that out, T-E-D-M-E-Y-E-R-A-R-T. And uh, because he creates art, I highly recommend you know, right now or on a break that you check out his website because it's it's definitely worth checking out tedmeyer.com and uh, his Scarred for Life project. And we're going to talk about that. But the website for that is uh, S-C-A-R-R-E-D-F-O-R-L-I-F-E-P-R-O-J-E-C-T.com. He's also a children's author and he has a bunch of books that we're going to talk about later on in the show as well so hi ted hi how are you excellent great that's so a very nice introduction thank you you're very welcome i'm so excited to have you on the show i'm thrilled to be here are you having a good day so far it's been a very good day i was painting a little bit getting ready for you trying to relax and uh, so it's been very good Awesome. So let's start off, Ted. You're an acclaimed nationally recognized artist. And along with your traditional paintings, you found a niche, which I think is so creative and so cool. You have a a niche where you've mixed art and medicine. And can you tell our listeners how that happened? Sure. Well, it it sort of just occurred naturally. I I have a sort of an unusual background. I have a very rare genetic illness called Gaucher's disease. It's there's about six thousand people in the world being treated for this illness. It's an enzyme deficiency, 
And I ended up spending a lot of my childhood in and out of the hospital, pretty much from the time I was about five until about 17, 18, and then it decreased a little bit. But during that time in the hospital, I started doing artwork about the fact that I was in the hospital. I had a very intuitive, and I'll say that since that's what you do, um, volunteer at the hospitals. She was, I always say, the art cart lady. And (laughs) she came in and said to me that I should start doing artwork about the fact that I was in the hospital and I should add IV tubes and bandages and drawings of what was going on around me into my little childhood art projects rather than trying to paint a landscape or a race car or something like that that a normal seven or eight-year-old kid would do. So she was she was really smart. Way before art therapy, she decided that this was going to be part of my life and I should learn to live with it. So for years and years, I did artwork about the fact that I was sick. I had a lot of bone problems and a lot of fatigue and I was in a lot of pain and I never really knew what was going on. And at the time, uh, the diagnosis for what I had was pretty grim. I was told I wouldn't live a particularly long time. And then NIH, uh, American Tax Dollars at Work, came up with a treatment for what I have. It's not a cure, but it's a pretty effective treatment, at least in my case, of giving a recombinant man-made version of the enzyme I was missing. So all of a sudden, my artwork changed because the the issues that had motivated my artwork of sort of pain and anxiety and unknown future disappeared. And I didn't really know what to do with myself for a couple years. And then a, a very smart friend, a, a woman who I know who was using a wheelchair, said, well, you should keep doing work about illness and mobility and health issues. Just because you're healthy now doesn't mean it's not still part of you. And I listened to her and I thought about it. I went home that night and it really made a lot of sense to me. And I called her up and asked whether or not I could make a print of the scar on her back that from the accident that had uh, landed up causing her to be in a wheelchair. And she said yes. And I did this print and it landed up being a very beautiful sort of abstract color field image and I showed it at an art show and all of a sudden people were coming up to me and they wanted to talk about this scar but not just that scar they wanted to talk about their scars and what had happened to them and how their life had changed because of their scar and the fact that they had survived something really major that was unique to them and it became really apparent to me that all these people, even people when doctors have said, oh, you're healed, you're fine, nothing to think about anymore, you know, your treatment's done, they still had a lot of mental issues and a lot of um, anxiety about the scars, either like your introduction, body image issues, or just the fact that they had had this very serious thing happen that was still running through their heads. So the idea that I was making a, a an image that really resonated with people a lot more than my paintings did was intriguing to me as an artist because you you want to make a statement 
And also it seemed to really bring a lot of comfort to other people. Yeah. So were you nervous? So you're, one of your earlier series was called Structural, or is called Structural Abnormalities. Yes. So that was a series that was done right before I had my first set of hip replacements done. And it was right around the time that the medicine was coming out. So I was still in the midst of all the bad side effects from my illness. And I knew one other person at that time with my illness who had had her hips replaced because that's one of the symptoms of this illness that the tips of the bones degenerate. And she had had terrible, terrible luck and her hip had to be removed and she was stuck in a wheelchair for a while and she had been given the wrong blood type and almost died. Oh my goodness. So I was going through a lot of issues at the time about do I do this operation? Plus, the medicine I take, even though it was developed by NIH, once it made it to the general marketplace, is almost a quarter million dollars a year. So there were a lot of issues going on in my head right then of confusion, of talk about self-worth and body issues. That Was I worth a quarter million dollars a year? Is anybody's medicine worth a quarter million dollars a year? So that's all sort of wrapped up in those images. And if you look at them, you can see that they're sort of contorted figures and bent bones compressed into a small space. And that was the last series I did before the hip replacements. And and that was a major change in my artwork because as soon as I had the hip replacements done, I didn't have any pain and I didn't have a limp and I was much more secure. I could walk without a cane. So immediately my artwork changed and if people go to the website under the figurative work they'll see like a a drastic change in color and composition and addition of the outside world once once my health changed that's pretty um that must have been quite intense though it you know it's interesting because when it happened it was sort of a very natural thing artistically. I didn't even realize my style had changed until I gave a lecture to a a health group or or to an artist group. I'm sorry. And once I saw all my images lined up, I'm like, wow, every time my health changes, my imagery changes. It it wasn't even something I thought about, you know, at the time. So as you're transforming your artwork, we're transforming as well. Yes, completely. (laughs) So we're going to have to take a break in a couple of minutes, but um, your black chair photos. Yeah. Can you describe what was going on there? Because those are very sexy. Those are very sexy shots. So those shots were done after the hip replacement. And for a while after the, the operation, I couldn't stand up and paint figures because I've always, as you saw, most of my work deals with figurative work because, again, I had all these body issues. So I thought, what if I was to just have friends come over and have them sit in a chair? And the idea of the black chair was to sort of mimic the structural abnormality series. I wanted to confine the figure to an anchor, and the anchor was the people could do anything they wanted, but they had to somehow interact with that chair, much in the same way the structural images were stuck in that cube. Hmm. And would you say, just out of curiosity, the inspiration for your work, um, do you see it in your head? Or do you, is it a feeling? Is it a, 
how do you, how does it come to you? I'm always well, curious how, how that works out. The photos artists. are very spontaneous. And the paintings change. You know, some days I'm in a good mood and they're very happy and cute and there's animals and there's, they're very humorous, sort of lowbrow imagery. And then if I'm in a bad mood or I've had some health issues, they end up being much more serious. But there's less of the uh, anxiety-ridden <laughs> uh, health issue paintings anymore because now I do, I tell other people's stories now instead of my own. And did you, the more you um, healed, did you feel as though you trusted your body more? Yes. Although, you know, now I'm, I'm 59, so now I'm starting to have, it's interesting because I have now lived long enough to start to have the problems that somebody older has that the average person has. So I'm not sure I'm liking that as much. <laughs> and on that note, When we come back, we're going to take a two-minute break. But when we come back, I'd love for us to talk more about your Scar for Life project. You kind of told us how. Yes. So um, we'll be back in two minutes. us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Visit InspiredToHelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at InspiredToHelp.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. Visit InspiredToHelp.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a forum of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. Hi, everyone. This is Lorraine Giordano, your host of the Womb Happy Hour. On today's show, we have Ted Meyer with us. He is a very talented artist. He's also a patient advocate, TED Med speaker, author. He's very talented. And so if you haven't done it already, I highly recommend that you check out his website, tedmeyer.com. And he also has, and we're going to talk about it a little bit more now, um, his Scarred for Life project. And so he has a website, scarredforlifeproject.com. And there's a book. And... Ted, you're coming out with an updated version of your book, Scarred for Life, correct? I am. I'm adding a couple new stories, so that should be on Amazon in about three weeks. 
exciting. Yeah. All right. So you were telling us that one of your friends you asked, um, and this was probably, was this around 18 years ago? Because your project has been around for around yes. 18 years? Yeah. 18 yeah. years ago. Wow. So you asked your friend if you could take a picture of her scar and that kind of, you gave birth to this beautiful, impactful project. Yeah. So what, what had happened is I had years before I had run an after school program with a friend in San Diego where I was living at the time. And we had had an, somebody come in and do fish prints, Japanese fish prints with the students where, I don't know if you're familiar with those, but you actually take a live fish and you prep it and then you ink it up and you make a print of it. It's an old traditional Japanese style of, of making prints. And I was talking to my friend because she's the one that said, you know, you really need to keep doing this work. And I thought, well, maybe if I can print fish scales, I could print a scar. So I called her up and I said, can I try this on your back? And she said, yes. So we did. I went over to her house with some blue ink. And and at the time, the idea was make it look sort of medical, blue, like a, a slide, that bluish purple color that slides are usually done in and we made a print and it really was beautiful and then I started working into them it's not just a straight print they're they're monoprints but I work into them with gouache and prismacolor and pencil to highlight the texture of the scar and if they have an interesting story and I've heard some incredible stories over the years of how people have gotten their scars I try to work that into the narrative of the print. So I showed them at an art show, and it was really an amazing thing. People were walking up to me, and they were unbuttoning their shirts, and they were pulling down their pants and lifting up skirts, and everybody was telling me about their scars or the scars of their children. And uh, I remember one woman came in, and her daughter had, uh, once I had had a few more of these prints done, I had one of a woman who had had a double mastectomy and this woman came in, her daughter had died of breast cancer and she just broke down crying in the studio. So I just decided that this was going to be my life project, that my paintings will continue, but that there seemed to really be a need to have this emotional outlet for people to talk about scars, talk about the ramifications of scars, the body image issues that go around scars, and the whole issue of, as I was saying before, are you healed just because a doctor tells you you're healed? Which is a profound question. Yes. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. Cause, so the last, I think, of, you know, I can bring this back to me, and I can think of the last time I, so I've had two sets of hip replacements done. And the, the last time, the doctor was saying to me after three or four months, like, oh, you're all healed, you're done. But I had problems with the hip, my foot was hurting, I don't have the normal rotation. So even though it's been, a, uh, I would say, I think it's 17 years since I had this thing done. It's not really healed. It's not right. <laughs> I think about it every day when I try to tie my shoes. And I think a lot of people have procedures and they are misled by doctors to believe that they will be 100% afterward because in the doctor's eyes, once you heal up and you don't get an infection, you're healed. Whereas in the patient view, 
limited mobility, limited uh, strength, limited endurance. A lot of these things happen after operations, and they're the patient thing to deal with because the the doctor doesn't care. His his part of it turned out fine, and he's already billed you. So so that's one of the things that's come out. Part of the scar project is that every time I do someone's scar, I sit with them for about a half hour before, and we talk about what happened to them, how did it happen, how do they feel when they look in the mirror every morning, they get out of the shower, they see their scars. And we always talk about the good and bad medical care they have, whether their doctor was compassionate and listening to them, whether their needs were met through the medical system. So, you know, a scar carries, it's a lot more than just a cut in the skin. It has an entire narrative to it. And everyone's narrative is different. Even two people that had the same hip replacement or a heart transplant or a kidney transplant, everyone goes into it with a certain set of expectations and life stories. So everybody comes out of it differently because they have different expectations, different doctors, different caregivers that treated them differently during their procedures. So, you know, everybody that has the same procedure can have drastically different physical and emotional outcomes from it. Yeah. I mean, I've had numerous uh, surgeries, nothing too, too um, serious, but um, most doctors kind of made it seem like it was easy peasy, but after my surgeries, it was not so easy. Um, And there were ramifications that came out of that. So I completely agree with what you were saying. Um, well, it's you know it's interesting because the so nowadays when you get a hip replacement you can be in and out in thirty six hours, but when I the first set I had I was in for eleven days and then the second time, I actually did both the hips on the same day, and oh, wow. I I knew from <laughs> the first set that how painful it was at least in the old procedure I can't speak to the new way it's done. But I thought, well, maybe I should just do them both the same day and get it over with because if I do one, I know I'm not going to want to go back in three months later and do the other one. And I said to the doctor, could we do them both in the same day? And he said, he said, absolutely, I can do that. But we never had the discussion of how absolutely incredibly painful it would be to recuperate doing two hips at once. And a couple of months later, I said to him, like, why did you okay to do this? And he just said, well, you asked if I could do it. And I said, yes. And then he said, well, I wouldn't have done it that way, which I just thought was a totally crappy response. To I would agree. That is crappy. And yeah. there's a bit of a disconnect on his part. <laughs> yeah. I think he was into the challenge of doing it rather than me as a patient. How would it affect me? Your outcome. Yeah. So, for your Scar for Life project, do people approach you to be involved, or do you find people? How, how do you get people? people? People find me from all over the world. So I, early on, I would occasionally walk up to people if I saw they had a big scar and say to them, I'm doing this project. And after one or two times of realizing that that made people uncomfortable, um, which is Another issue, because I was in the hospital so much, I'm very comfortable discussing medical things, but a lot of people are not. So I respect that, and I only do prints on people that volunteer their scars. So people tend to find me now. They either 
see an exhibit or they find the work online and they send me emails through the website and say, if you're in New York or if I'm in Los Angeles, could we do a print? So that's how I find people now. They're all volunteers. Because one, one of the things that's interesting is some people, I've had people call me before operations and say, as soon as I get done with this and it's healed and it's safe to put ink on me, I want to do a print. And then other people will wait five years and call me up and say, I'm finally ready to, to do this. Wow. Because it's, it's a very intimate thing. I'm, I'm rolling ink on the people. I'm putting paper on them. I'm pressing with their hands. And it's surprising to me how some people just don't let anyone touch their scars until I do, even their partners. Um, it's, it's sort of interesting. Well, it's such a vulnerable it's such a vulnerable space. Yeah. yeah. Energetically, physically, and so many levels. So yeah. that's that's pretty cathartic. Or you're a bit you're a healer yourself. I think we're all healers in our own way. But I I think that's very healing for people to be able to kind of trust you and and to and to yeah, put themselves out there. Yeah, and I've had a couple really interesting things happen. I I was doing a workshop at a high school in New York once and there was a girl in the class who was sort of shy and she got up in front of the class to tell her story about her scar just that she had a big scar on her body but she had been adopted and she had no idea how she got this big scar it was not in her records when she was adopted and the teacher came up to me afterwards and said how great it was that this young woman had gotten up because she tended to be quiet. She had never really gotten up in front of the class and talked about herself before, but all of a sudden she was the focus and, and all the other kids were like, wow, that's a, that's a great story that you've got this crazy. She had a scar that looked a lot like a question mark on her stomach. Like the fact that she didn't know what it was from and it was shaped like a question mark. Everybody just loved, you know, the irony of all that. So, it's always interesting when people are ready to sort of deal with it and make it all known. Yeah, and as your projects evolve, you're working with veterans now and people in India. Can you tell listeners about that? Have you noticed any differences there, to the process? There's a, there's a big difference. Well, first, the India project is one I'm working on. I haven't gotten over there yet. That's a hope for next year. But the veterans are interesting because – if, if you talk to a civilian about their scar, they will say, I got this scar in a car accident or this happened to me. And when you talk to the veterans, the veterans will tell you when you say to them, what do you think when you get out of the shower in the morning and you look at your scar? They'll tell you, I think of the guy that was next to me who didn't make it. I, I think of the guy in my platoon who the bomb killed. I think of the guy who got blown up worse than me by that landmine. So there's a camaraderie, there's a group experience to the veteran scars that comes through in every single story I've heard as opposed to civilian scars. It's a very different patient narrative or survivor narrative to veteran scars than to civilian scars. Hmm. And do you find that they get more emotional? Or you know, I think it depends. Or- just like anybody else, I think it depends 
the, the veterans are pretty strong. And when I first started working with them, I was actually a little nervous because my politics are pretty left. And uh, But I, I wanted to work with the veterans specifically because as someone who is a little more left-leaning in their politics, I, I thought, how can I... Let me, let me start this again. I wanted to make sure that people understood the ramifications when we send people to war. I wanted them to see what was happening to these brave guys who come back and put themselves on the line for us. Even if I didn't always agree on uh, why they were there, I totally respect the fact that they are there and putting their lives on the line for me to be able to talk about that disagreement. So I wanted people to see, look, this is a guy that the government will not let you see a picture of when he comes back from the war. This is a guy who was in the hospital for a year and a half because of burns, because he got blown up or he's missing an eye or he's, you know, his leg got blown up. And I, so I wanted to tell their story and I wanted the general public to say, look at what these guys did for you and be careful before you send your kids out there and have the same thing happen to them. Well, thank you for sharing their stories. I'm really proud to share their stories. And I'm sure they appreciate having them told. I, I think so. We had a story night at the Oceanside Museum last week, and we had a couple of veterans come, some from my show, and they told their stories, and it was a, it was a great night. Wow. Very cool. So on this note, we are going to take a break, but we'll be back in two minutes. Please check out tedmeyer.com and the scarforlifeproject.com website. It's very cool. It's impactful. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Visit inspiredtohelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at inspiredtohealth.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. Visit inspiredtohealth.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. You are listening to the Womb Happy Hour. To reach Lorraine Giordano, her guest, or if you have a comment on the show, please call in to 1 866 472 5792. That's 1 866 472 5792. Or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net. Now back to the Womb Happy Hour. 
Hi, everybody. We're back. This is Lorraine Giordano, your host on the Womb Happy Hour. And we're having a fascinating convo with Ted Meyer. And he was just telling us some details about his Scarred for Life project. And uh, I also recommend, I was recommending the website, but he also has a book, Scarred for Life, Mono Print of Surgical Scars. So you can get that on Amazon or Barnes & Noble. Um, and then he's also coming up with a, an updated book in the next few weeks. Yeah. So, Ted, how did you land up working at medical schools? Well, I had this idea. So one of the things, because of the SCAR project, is I heard all these stories of things doctors did right, and I heard a lot of stories of things doctors did wrong. And I kept thinking, what can I do as somebody who's not in the medical field but has an entire life dealing with the medical field to make communication between doctors and patients better? So I approached UCLA, and it took, it took about six months because I would call up and say, I'd call the medical school, and I'd say, I, I'm an artist, and I, want, I have this idea for a project. And the secretary at the medical school would always say to me, honey, we don't, we don't have artists here. This is the medical school. Why don't you call the art school? And I kept calling, like every two weeks, because I had this idea. And finally, one day, she was out with a cold, and I got the assistant to the dean of education, and he said, oh, I'm going to tell the dean, and he called me back in about 20 minutes and said, can you be in here in, <laughs> you know, by tomorrow? So I met with the dean, and we set up the idea of a project that would sort of go along with the medical core curriculum. So one of the things, because I'm an artist and I have a big group of people around me and because I was doing work about medicine, I kept finding other artists that did work about their illnesses just like I had done when I was younger for my illness. So we set up a program where we would mirror the core curriculum and I would give artists an art show. For example, if that they are studying a respiratory illness, I might find an artist with cystic fibrosis or asthma. And if they were studying neurological problems, I'd find somebody with Parkinson's or MS. And I would give them a show. And we turned the lobby of the medical school into a gallery. And they would show their artwork that was motivated from their illness. Not, I didn't want to have like a landscape by somebody with MS. I wanted work about having the life experience of having MS. And I landed up finding a, a, a lot of people that were doing work about their illnesses. So we would bring them into the medical school and they would talk about the fact that their lives are shaped not just in a negative way by their illnesses, but occasionally, creatively, their illness had become their motivation and their muse. So my hope was that the medical school students, that if we got to them early when they were still learning the, the art of medicine, maybe they would look at their patients as full-bodied people with hobbies and lives outside of their illness, not just, you know, I didn't want people looking at me going, oh, there's that guy who has that rare illness and he's missing an enzyme. I wanted them to go, there's a guy who's got a whole life. He's a painter. He's an activist. He 
does lots of other things. He loves to travel. And how does this illness affect all those other things rather than just, oh, he's missing an enzyme and let's pump some medicine into him? Yeah, so it's a way of sensitizing. We're hoping to keep the sensitivity there to what someone's going through. Yeah. The, the first couple of years at med school, you know, they don't see patients. They don't see patients till the third and fourth year. And a lot of times a student can be great at medical school the first two years, you know, especially somebody who is, you know, great with a book, but not very good with people. And then there's, you know, there's an adjustment for them to go out on the floor and deal with real patients. So we sort of thought maybe this would bridge that. So I did that for uh, five years, and now I'm at Keck School of Medicine at USC. They they wanted me over there, and I've gone there, and we're increasing the program to have life drawing for students, and we're going to do cadaver drawing for the students because lots of studies show that observational skills that are increased by looking at art and doing art translate into medical schools. We're still bringing the artists in to talk about their life experience as a patient, uh, we did a show last year where we paired local Los Angeles artists with the medical school researchers to see whether the the artists could visually portray the research done in a different way than the researchers were doing it. So they're kind of letting me run wild with what I want to do over there at USC, and it's been just fantastic. Congratulations. Thank you. Now, have you... Have there been artists um, that have come in specifically, let's say, for female reproductive health issues or for breast cancer? Or Our next show is a breast cancer show. At UCLA, I had done a group show with six different artists, and they had all had uh, different types of cancer. And one of them was Jada Fabrizio that you had had on your show a couple weeks ago. Um, but we had a, a guy with prostate cancer, a guy with brain cancer, a woman with brain cancer. So we had, and then we had two women with breast cancer and one with uterine cancer in that show. The next show we're having is an artist named uh, Corinne Lightweaver. We were, I know her website is up, and she is doing work about breast cancer, and she is our next artist. And when is that? That one goes up in November. Okay, wow. Look forward to seeing that. And you, so you coined the phrase artist in residence. Is that your title? That is the title. I wish I could say I coined it, but I didn't. It's, there's a lot of different artists in residence at different institutions, but I was the first one at UCLA in the art school, and I'm the first one at USC in the art school. There are a few others around the country. There's a woman, an artist named Laura Ferguson at NYU. There's... Uh, somebody down at UC San Diego. And we each have slightly different programs. Uh, Laura does more drawing, whereas mine is very based on bringing these other artists in. So they're all designed to suit the school. Like even from UCLA to USC, we've changed the program a little bit and made it more expansive and more interactive. One thing about the medical schools is a lot of them now require a humanity component to their schools and and they all do it in a, a different way they're they're all supposed to be teaching bedside manner skills so i came along at sort of just the right time to add art into the mix for this 
Yay. <laughs> I know, it makes a difference. Absolutely. So let's go back to when you were a little kid and you you were sick a lot and you spent a lot of time in hospitals. Yes. So, I mean, that that's inspired a lot of your creativity, a lot of the work that you're doing today. Do you have all the amazing work that you're doing today? Do you have any advice for parents with chronically ill children? I do. My parents... My parents were very good about my illness, and they never really treated me like I was sick. So I would, I would, when I was out of the hospital, I did what as much as I could whenever I could, and I'm I know that they were worried about me because I was pretty frail back then, before the medicine, but they really just they expected everything from me that a healthy kid could do, and I was raised expecting everything from myself that a healthy kid would do. And I think they were they were very good. And they, you know, besides the fact that my mom had to really research and become an expert about an illness that almost nobody knew anything about at that time. As, as I was saying, back then there were only 250 known cases of what I have. So she had to find the right hospital. She had to find a doctor that knew something about it. You know, they were experimenting on me. Will painkillers work? Will anti-inflammatories work? You, you know, I, when I was first diagnosed, my white count was so high, they thought I had leukemia, and we had to go through making sure that was really the case. So my, my mom became quite the caregiver and expert in the illness. You know, it, it was quite remarkable. She went from housewife to medical expert at rocket speed. An advocate and, and, for you. Yeah, and I think a lot of a lot of parents do that. As I get more and more into this field, it's it's amazing how much parents can do for their kids. They not that they're questioning doctors, but a lot of times they know that there's information out there the doctors don't know, and they need to find it. And and especially nowadays with all the new technologies, sometimes it's just a matter of prodding people to try new treatments. And a big shout out to your mom. Yeah. Because back at that time, that's, that's, you know, we don't have the information like we have on our, at our fingertips today. I think about that all the time, that she was able to get me to an expert without, you know, no internet, no, I, I don't know how she found out about the illness, but she managed to do it. All right, Ted's mom. Yay. <laughs> all right. So we're going to take a break. And we'll be back in a couple of minutes. And uh, please check out tedmeyer.com or check him out on Instagram or Twitter at tedmeyerart. And we'll be back shortly. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Visit InspiredToHelp.net for help in feeling more grounded, centered, and relaxed using different energy healing tools. Lorraine Giordano works with women and men in person or via Skype or telephone sessions. You can sign up for a single session or try one of our discounted multi-session packages. We also offer three levels of Reiki classes. Find out more at InspiredToHelp.net. You can even book Lorraine for a workshop or speaking event. 
Visit inspiredtohealth.net today. Do you get a little nervous or hesitate to discuss topics down there that aren't talked about often? We hear you. Or are you curious to look at frequently discussed topics from a different perspective? Visiting inspiredtohealth.net opens up a whole world of discussion that you may not have known even existed. Lorraine Giordano offers a form of open and frank discussion about those seemingly unmentionable topics down below. Visit now, inspiredtohealth.net. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. listening to the womb happy hour to reach lorraine giordano her guest or if you have a comment on the show please call in to 1-866-472-5792 that's 1-866-472-5792 or send an email to info at inspiredtohealth.net now back to the womb happy hour hi everybody this is lorraine and we are talking to ted meyer artist and uh, patient advocate extraordinaire. And before we were going to break, we were talking about how much of an of an influence his mom had uh, on him. And uh, I'd like to pick it up with Ted, based on your your healing journey, your health journey, which has been extraordinary. What have you learned with from dealing with a lifelong illness? Well, well, that's interesting. So I would say the main thing has been how to deal with with the outside world, meaning outside your own body. And I think I think about this a lot on Facebook when you see friends that post every time they stub their toe or every time something happens. I mean, we all have this friend on Facebook who's constantly telling you every illness they have. And even at an early age, I learned that you could not do that. Even as a cute little kid with dimples, I could get away with a lot. But I couldn't get away with telling people when they said, how are you? I couldn't really say, I feel terrible today and <laughs> I want to die. You know, because people stop asking how you are and they get uncomfortable around you. So, so I think you have to learn to project some image of health and you have to learn to project some image of strength and determination, even if you were sick. Because if you start telling people you're sick and you feel terrible and you feel fatigued, they really, they stop asking. It's, it makes them uncomfortable, you know. So, so that's the most important thing. Try to, you know, don't internalize all of it. And you can say what you want to your close friends, but you don't say it to everybody every time they say, how are you feeling, you know? And the other thing is, when you're dealing with doctors, make sure you understand them. I, I've, w- while doing these scar prints, I have found a number of times where people did not understand what the doctors were saying to them. And they would go home and they would Google the term a doctor had used or even the vocabulary. And for some reason, they were afraid to ask the doctor what what was going on with them because they didn't want to seem uneducated or ill-informed. So they would go home and go, what what is it the doctor just said to me? You're, you were paying for that doctor and you have the right to the services of that doctor and they should make sure that you understand what they're saying to you. 
you know. I always say that the doc, if people, one of the things that I work on is this communication between doctors and patients at the med school. That's why I'm there. Because if, if you understand what the doctor's saying, you might only come into the doctor one time, but if you don't understand what the doctor's saying, you might come back for two or three appointments until you really do understand what the doctor is saying. And that leads to in time usage, extra costs, travel costs, getting out of work, frustration, total frustration. So you have the right to know what's going on with your body when you see a doctor. That's my, that would probably be the biggest thing I can say to anybody. Thank you for sharing that. Um, When I was in my early twenties, I asked a doctor some questions. I wasn't bitchy, bitchy about it or like aggressive. I just asked him some questions and he wound up firing me as a patient, <laughs> which I think is so funny. Yeah. We'll see. Um, yeah. He shouldn't so, be doing that. Like no, I had, I had a friend, this was years ago during the, the AIDS crisis. And I had a friend who developed AIDS very quickly. It was before the, the new drugs were out. And I was talking to his wife beforehand, right before the diagnosis, because it was very odd back then that a straight, well, we assumed he was straight, guy in a marriage would develop AIDS. And she said to me, well, the doctors, you know, when you used to, in the old days, pre-diagnose for HIV or AIDS, people would say you had uh, atypical pneumonia. That was sort of the precursor before people got the full diagnosis. And I remember her saying to me, well, the doctor said he has atypical pneumonia. And my immediate thought, having a lot of friends in the art community was, well, he might have AIDS. And then she said, I don't really understand the difference between typical, atypical, or B-typical pneumonia. And I was like, wow, she walked out of there and she doesn't understand what the word atypical means. So she didn't understand the diagnosis. Yeah. So communication, asking yeah. questions and being persistent and not afraid, I think, is, is really critical. Yeah. So you've had a lot of exposure. You've been on NPR, The New York Times, Washington Post, Chicago Tribune, US Today. So cool. Yep. Congratulations. And Thank you were recently... Uh, on Ted Med, or you were a speaker, you were a main stage speaker at Ted Med. I was. Congratulations. Was Thank you. And the, so it's interesting. They they uh, they release one lecture a week from. So they have a big event, and they bring in forty speakers, and we're there for several days. And every day they do ten of the speakers. So my lecture is actually going to be released. I just found out. I've been waiting all year because the event was last November uh, on the 27th of this month. So if people want to see it after the 27th, they can Google Ted Med and Ted Meyer and the, the lecture will show up. And I will post it on my page two in the video section on my website, tedmeyer.com. And I'll share it too. Okay, great. So before we we have to go, can you tell listeners about the children's book books that you've created? So I did over time. I have a lot of times when I was sick, I would decide I needed a project to keep going. So I do these little drawings of cats, and I have done three children's books about cats. So the first one is just about my 
crazy cat's behavior called the butt hello, and other ways my cat drives me crazy. And then I did two more, which are very informational, that I'm actually very proud of these. One is called Cats Around the World, and it shows drawings of cats in native costumes and how do you say cat in different languages. And that one all came about because the year I had my hip replacements done, I knew I wouldn't be able to get out of bed. So I thought, I'm going to do this book. So I did the entire book while I was sitting in bed, recuperating from the hip replacement. So that's Cats Around the World. And that was because I love to travel. Usually every year I try to go on a big trip and I thought, if I can't travel, I'm going to draw some traveling. And then I did another book about called 50 States of Cats, which has a drawing and information about each state. So they're not really, they're not books with storylines, but they're great picture books with a lot of information for kids to learn about the world or this or the country different facts about each state so thank you so much for sharing that and thank you. and ted yes i i want to thank you so much for being a guest on the show this has been great it's been really fun and i'd like to thank you too because since i've been checking out your work i do have a scar on my left eye that bothers me but i've kind of i've kind of looked at it differently now so i want to thank you for that um sure just based remember. on the vibrant you, work that you're doing you are i always say any day above ground is a good day so you're here with us to do these interviews and you're helping everybody so that's Absolutely. a great thing so thank you and i'd love to have you again on the show i would love to come back yes yeah, so everyone who's listening please check out ted meyer's website tedmeyer.com and you can connect with him on instagram and twitter at tedmeyer art and on next week's show we're going to india actually um sinu joseph is going to be with us to talk about menstrual practices in india and it's going to be a very eye-opening um exchange with her so she is from my3speaks.org so thank you everyone for joining if you'd like to connect with me inspiredtohealth.net Lorraine Giordano uh, if you want to check out me on Facebook at inspired to health and um, remember to send a little love and light down there down to your womb area your source your seat of creativity and We'll be back next week. You're listening to the Womb Happy Hour, and thank you for joining. Thank you for joining us for the Womb Happy Hour. Be sure to tune in again for another edition featuring your host, Lorraine Giordano, next Wednesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have an excellent week.